Welcome to another episode of Uncharted, the UN Watch podcast. My name is Hannah, and I am the Morris B. Abram Fellow at UN Watch in Geneva, Switzerland. On June 13th, 2022, UN Watch hosted a side event as the UN Human Rights Council's new Commission of Inquiry targeting Israel presented its first report. The remarks you will hear on this podcast were originally delivered at this side event during a panel on the root causes of the conflict and allegations of systematic discrimination. One of the panel's featured speakers was Olga Michaud-Washington. Olga is a South African attorney and human rights activist. Well, thank you, Hillel, for having me here today, and thank you to you and Watch for all that you do. I was born in Pretoria, which is the capital city of South Africa, so I've never doubted that I was a South African. However, a few years ago, that certainty wavered. I was looking at a copy of my birth certificate when I noticed that the citizenship designated to me was not South African. I remember calling my dad and exclaiming, Dad, Dad, I'm not South African. And he responded, what are you talking about? Of course you are. I proceeded to explain to him that my birth certificate listed the city of my birth as Pretoria, but it gave me citizenship of Bupututswana. Wow, he replied. He and my mom had never picked that up. After a few inquiries to the Department of Home Affairs, I was issued with another certificate that stated my citizenship as South African. Bupututswana was one of the several homelands created within South Africa by the apartheid government as a place that black people were to live in according to their tribes. It was one of the products of the over 150 codified laws that were intricately and interwoven for the sole purpose to separate non-white South Africans from white South Africans in all areas of life. Black South Africans were dispossessed of their land, homes and livelihoods, and forcibly relocated to designated underdeveloped areas. Many were stripped of their South African citizenship. There was a season in my dad's life when his passport described him as stateless. Our only crime being black. By laws, black South Africans were prohibited from using the same transportation and health systems and from enjoying the same public amenities as white South Africans. We were denied the right to vote we were forbidden from marrying someone of a different race. Not only could we not attend the same schools as white South Africans, the education system afforded to us was deliberately of a lower standard, underscoring the belief on which apartheid was premised. Black people were morally and racially inferior to white people and so had to be separated from them on all levels of society and treated as second-class citizens. That was apartheid. That is not what Israel is. I often find myself in a comical state of disbelief and awe that Israel continues to be labeled as an apartheid state. I'm going to leave it in the interest of time to Yosef to describe Israeli life, but I will say this. The diversity of Israeli politics, policies, culture, and overall Israeli life is incomparable to apartheid South Africa. Because Israel haters are determined that Israel be accused of being an apartheid state and so be guilty of committing a crime against humanity, a new definition of apartheid is now being advanced by non-governmental organizations and authors to perpetuate this decades-old lie conceived by Soviet and Arab propaganda machinery. 
The disassociation of apartheid from the South African experience, which frankly is the genesis of apartheid, and imposition on Israel of the intent to commit apartheid is troubling for many reasons. It trivializes the humiliation and injustices endured by black South Africans who lived through apartheid and who still, together with their descendants, bear their scars of its legacy. I'm of the opinion that it goes further. I believe it erases the very real, very lived experiences of the brutality of apartheid, a reality that includes mothers who to this day do not know what happened to their children, and millions of black South Africans who had to flee their country and live in exile under fear of persecution purely because of the color of their skin. My people's history and our experience is being used as an anti-Semitic tool to politically, morally, and with the most incredible pretzel-like twisting and legal, legal gymnastics that I have seen, legally delegitimize Israel with a hope to criminalize her. Israel critics who use the false apartheid claim often cite black Africans who hold or held similar views. They say things like, well, Bishop Desmond Tutu said that Israel's treatment of the Palestinians is apartheid. It is true that the late Bishop Tutu said these things. It is also true that South Africa's ruling party, the African National Congress, has in recent years adopted an increasingly antagonistic stance towards the Jewish state. But South Africans are not a monolith. From faith leaders to politicians, business personnel to community leaders, many have called out and do call out this lie. In his address at the 37th Congress of the South African Jewish Board of Deputies, Nelson Mandela said, we, referencing the African National Congress, recognize the legitimacy of Palestinian nationalism just as we recognize the legitimacy of Zionism as Jewish nationalism. We insist on the right of the State of Israel to exist within secure borders, but with equal vigor support the Palestinian right to self-determination. King Goodwill Zuelatini, the late king of South Africa's largest tribe and ethnic group, the Zulus, retired Chief Justice of South Africa's Constitutional Court, Chief Justice Mokhueng Mokhueng, South African parliamentary member and leader of one of the opposition parties in South Africa's government, Reverend Dr. Kenneth Mishwe, Bishop Dr. Barnabas Lechanyana, leader of the Zionist Christian Church, the largest African-initiated church in Southern Africa, are names that you may not have heard before. But these are names of South African leaders who do not equate support for the Palestinian people as having to be anti-Israel. They are leaders who publicly debunk the labeling of apartheid against Israel, who see the importance of a strong South African relationship for the benefit of all South Africans and all Africans. On 21 June 2004, former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan noted that, you, that the United Nations emerged from the ashes of the Holocaust, and that a human rights agenda that fails to address anti-Semitism denies its own history. He also said that the fight against anti-Semitism must be the United Nations fight, and that the Jews everywhere should feel that the United Nations is their home too. It thus boggles the mind why the United Nations Human Rights Council would establish a commission inquiry that is anti-Semitic, that stretches indefinitely into the future and into the past, that is one-sided, and is chaired by someone who has made no secret her anti-Israel bias. The weaponization of apartheid by the United Nations and now the Commission of Inquiry makes a mockery of what the United Nations was mandated and is mandated to do, and that is enhance international cooperation for the promotion and protection of all human rights. 
The continued misuse of apartheid makes peace for Israelis and Palestinians unattainable because it creates a barrier from holding Hamas and the Palestinian Authority accountable for their mistreatment of the Palestinian people. It attacks, as well as attacks against Israelis, be they Jewish, Arab, Druze, and Christian. And because it prevents the truth, there can be no justice without truth. The apartheid narrative also has implications for a region whose significance in this conversation cannot be ignored, and that is Africa. In 2021, Israel was rightfully awarded observer status at the African Union. Arab leaders have led the protest in denouncing this move. Surprise, surprise. Oh, the hypocrisy that the Palestinian Authority should enjoy observer status, but a country that has done much good for African nations and the African people should be denied the same privilege. When members of the African Union gathered earlier this year to vote whether to retain or remove Israel's observer status, Musa Faki Mahamat, chairperson of the African Union Commission, noted that 44 of the 55 countries that comprise Africa recognize Israel and have established diplomatic relations with the state. Many African states have opened their markets and economic space to Israeli enterprises and have signed cooperation agreements in fields including, but not limited to, education, defense, security, intelligence, nuclear cooperation, agriculture, technological innovations, health, economy, and finance. It is thus a mystifying situation that this reality is not reflected by African nations at the United Nations. The apartheid lies instead brandished against the strengthening of ties by African nations with Israel. African nations are expected to and have indeed made peace and forged close ties with nations that colonized us, that enslaved our people, and that slaughtered us like animals. Israel, who we are told to shun, has committed no such atrocities. As a proud daughter of the African continent, I respectfully ask African leaders, how has lending support for hatred against the Jewish people progressed the needs of the continent? We have propped up the morally and legally corrupt notions that Israel is guilty of apartheid, colonization, and genocide. To what benefit? Africa is now the global eye of terrorism and slavery is rampant in no less than five African countries, some of which have already had a seat and do have a seat on the Human Rights Council. Our support for the Palestinian people should be lent where it will change the status quo, demanding their liberation from Hamas and Palestinian leadership that denies them basic and fundamental human rights. We have for far too long lent our name, lent our history, lent our votes to the centrality of a program that seeks to demonize and isolate the Jewish state, more so than it seeks to improve the lives of the Palestinian people. It is time for Africa to reassume her rightful place as a leader in relations with Israel, just as she did 3,000 years ago by way of Queen Sheba, who visited King Solomon in Jerusalem. As was evidenced at the dawn of many African democracies in 1950s and 1960s, close relations with Israel has real and meaningful economic, health, food security, counterterrorism, and many other benefits for the African people. I would have never thought that I would ever quote Elvis Presley, but allow me to do so as I close. There's a first time for everything. Elvis said, truth is like the sun. You can shut it out for a time, but it ain't going away. 
Here is to continuing to work towards the day when the light of truth will shine through the corridors of the United Nations and illuminate all its chambers. The truth that, in the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Israel is one of the great outposts of democracy in the world and a marvelous example of what can be done, how desert land can be transformed into an oasis of brotherhood and democracy. Following Olga's remarks, Yosef Haddad offered his expertise. Yosef is an Israeli-Arab human rights activist and the CEO of Together, Vouch for Each Other. Thank you very much for this uh, warm introduction, and uh, again, thanks for having me here. It is an absolute pleasure and important as well. Uh, just before I start uh, my speech, I do want to address a few things of uh, what uh, Olga mentioned because it is uh, important. I visited South Africa myself, and you know, uh, during apartheid uh, week uh, in uh, Johannesburg, and uh, one of the fascinating things that I found when I spoke to students in uh, Johannesburg is after I told them the story about the Arabs in Israel, also as well in uh, the West Bank and in uh, Gaza, I then said the sentence referring to the real apartheid that happened in South Africa and compare it to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, it is actually doing injustice to the South African who suffered from a real apartheid regime. And this is something that I found also fascinating to see the comments and the responses from South African while I was speaking there, nodding their head with acceptance after they heard the reality of the Arabs, whether it's in Israel or in the West Bank or in Gaza. So I had to say something about that. As an Israeli, I am not surprised to be discussing in another UN report which obsessively bashes my country here at the UN in Geneva. In fact, it's more of the same old, same old. But you know what? As an Arab, I'm absolutely fed up. I'm fed up because this obsession against Israel actually prevents resources and attention from being put up in the right places, both inside Israel as we work to bridge gaps between Israeli Arabs and Israeli Jews and internationally. As an Arab Israelis, we have many problems to resolve within our society. For example, Arab Israelis are vastly underrepresented in government employee positions. What should be closer to 20% of employees is more like 1.5%. Our schools are not up to the standards they should be. And we have a massive problem with illegal weapons. But instead of finding productive solution to meet these challenges, bodies like the UN have no idea what's actually going on in Israel, are lecturing us, Arab Israelis, about how our life is as minorities in our own country. Even worse, they presented it as if we Arab Israelis are not in fact Israelis with equal rights under the law, the same as any Jewish Israeli. For example, they, they cited the nation state bill in the report, a bill I actually oppose because it doesn't go far enough to emphasize Israel's democracy nature. But they misrepresented it, the very essence of the bill, claiming it impacts the civil status access to social and economic benefit or the right to land and property for Arab Israelis. This is a flat-out lie. Let me clarify for the Commission of Inquiry that I am an Arab Israeli with equal rights under the law in the state of Israel. We do not need the UN or the EU or any other body to come to tell us how to run our country, and such reports only inflame tensions in the region 
and embolden extremists who damage the unity between Arabs and Jews in Israel. This report, at its core, fundamentally misunderstood the conflict and misattributed every social ill, and I mean every social ill that impacts Palestinians to Israel. The Commission of Inquiry, like others before, it was intended to address alleged crime wars in the last Gaza operation in May 2021. But reading out through these 18 pages of Drivel, it isn't thorough investigation, but the facts on both sides, but rather a poorly researched report filled with sloppy, false information, almost none of which even addresses the Gaza operation. The UN Human Rights Council extended their mandate to address all underlying root causes the recurrent tensions. All. Nowhere in this report did they address the underlying root causes of Palestinians refusing to recognize my country's right to exist, or the fact that Palestinians have rejected multiple offers for peace, or the issues of incitement within Palestinian culture, or the Palestinian leadership's corruption. No, they just blamed Israel. I guess we can't rely, really be surprised when the head of the commission, Navi Pillay, is a known anti-Israeli activist who smeared my country as apartheid and supported boycotting it. Does that sound like an impartial investigator? Yes, this is it. This is what the UN Human Rights Council is spending their resources on. While China puts Muslims in concentration camps, Afghanistan is run by the Taliban, which is a cracking down on women's rights. Iran is the largest sponsor of global terrorism, and Russian troops commit war crimes and sexual assault, including against children. The UN Human Rights Council is paying for this commission of inquiry to spread lies about Israel and minimize responsibility on the Palestinian side. Now, let's review a few of those lies in this report. First, they simply don't know the facts. They claim that Israel occupies Gaza as a result of the blockade, including land crossings and borders, as well as civilian infrastructure, including water and electricity. This is a lie. The blockade is an Egyptian-Israeli blockade, and even this report contradicts itself by stating in another section that they appealed to the Egypt for permission to enter Gaza via the Rafah crossing and received no response. They also falsely claimed that Israel's blockade hindered water and sanitation in Gaza, damaging the health system. As per Oslo, the Palestinian Authority assumed full responsibility for their own health care. They also claimed that the entire territory discussed in the Oslo Accord, area A, B, C, as well as Gaza, was to be handed over the Palestinian. This is a blatantly false. The territory was to be decided only in the final status negotiations. And then you wonder, has even the UN read the Oslo Accords? Here's something the UN should learn. Water and electricity is paid for and provided by the Palestinian Authority, not Israel. It is a bitter internal political fight between Fatah and Hamas that prevents adequate resources 
from being invested in building better water sanitation, generators, and water aquifers. Not Israel. But that didn't stop this report from blaming Israel for destroying Palestinian water infrastructure and then lying about the cause of the problem. Experts in Israeli civil administration confirm that Palestinians constantly avoid meetings with their Israeli counterparts to address the problems of water shortages in the Palestinian territories. After all, and listen to this, the UN is literally providing incentives for Palestinian leaders to behave this way. It gets them more aid money when their people suffer. We know for certain that the water pipelines aren't separated between Jews and Arabs. They are shared. Shortages in the water are widespread because Palestinian police do not prevent the illegal siphoning off of water to Palestinians who dig into the pipelines. Nobody talks about that, by the way. Many of which span the entire West Bank, such as the pipeline which runs through Hebron. In another lie, the report claims Israel allows the establishment of Jewish settlements outposts. In fact, Israel destroys illegal construction regardless of who builds it. And recent years have shown that more illegal Jewish constructions were removed than Palestinians. They criticized Israel for correctly labeling six NGOs as terror fronts for the PFLP, claiming it is a threat to civil society. Really? Because there are 45,000 NGOs in Israel, and none of them seems to have this problem, including NGOs like B'Tselem and Breaking the Silence, which work against the state. Additionally, there are hundreds of anti-Israeli, international, and Palestinian NGOs operating in West Bank and Gaza. But you mean to tell me that Israel labeled only six of them just for fun? It is not even logical. The report falsely claimed that the purpose of Sheikh Jarrah house evictions were for the benefit of settlers. Again, misrepresenting the reality of a complex lawsuit which had been going on for decades in which the tenant refused to pay rent to the legal owners of the property. It also claimed that the May violence broke out partially as a result of the use of force by Israel against Palestinian during Ramadan, which is an outright lie. Every year, Israel grants thousands of additional permits for Muslims to worship freely at Al-Aqsa during Ramadan, unlike Jews, by the way. The riots in May 2021 occurred due to Palestinian instigating violence, not Israel. The report stated that Israel has a three-third system of laws for Jews, Palestinian citizen of Israel, apparently it's up to them to identify my identity, and Palestinians in East Jerusalem. This also claimed that the Palestinian in East Jerusalem are eligible for Israeli citizenship. Another lie. They're all eligible to apply for Israeli citizenship, and many of them actually have. Aside from the outright lies, this report places sole responsibility of Israel but gives Hamas and Palestinian leadership a free pass. For example, they mentioned Israel 157 times, but the terrorist organization, Hamas, only three times.
They claim that there is an issue of accountability with Israel and such as Israel is responsible for the failure of Palestinians to stop domestic violence. Yes, seriously, that's what it says. They stated that the occupations is the core of cause of unemployment in Gaza with no mention of the rampant corruptions of misuse of fundings and terrorism by Hamas. They even complained that the Palestinians haven't held election in over a decade and blamed Israel for it. We are the one to blame for not having elections. They intentionally misrepresented the facts by condemning Israel for targeting residential buildings in Gaza while ignoring IDF efforts to evacuate the buildings ahead of time and the role of Hamas in using residential buildings for terrorist activities. It's not even me saying that. Even Hamas leader Yahya Sinwar said it himself in an interview. They slam Israel for what they call discrimination in granting building permits and its impact on the Israeli Bedouin communities. But no mention of the multiple times Hamas has confiscated lands from Palestinians in Gaza and even used live fire against Palestinian protesters. And by the way, this literally happened this week. The report rests on false premise that until occupation ends, this issue will not be resolved for Palestinians. It reminds me of a famous statement by former US Secretary of State, John Kerry, in which he insisted that there will be no peace in the region until the Palestinians have peace with Israel. But guess what? As we saw with the Abraham Accords, this is the furthest from the reality and the truth. But supporting or opposing occupation isn't even the question here. The question is, will ending occupation, as the UN claims, really end the conflict and the problems for Palestinians? As an Arab, I am here to tell you unequivocally, no. Ending the occupation will not end the conflict, nor will it resolve the social problems within Palestinian society. Where the UN should be stressing pressure on the Palestinian Authority and the terrorist organization Hamas to stop violence, they are blaming Israel for defending itself. Where the UN should be holding NGOs which fund terrorism accountable, they are condemning Israel for exposing the truth about them. Where the UN should be demanding the Palestinians recognize the right of Israel to exist, the problem which led to present-day situation in the West Bank after the Six-Day War, the UN instead panders to corrupt Palestinian leaders who have led and are leading their own people towards violence and destruction. My message to the UN itself in this is if you want to see a genuine peace with Israelis and Palestinians, Stop fueling lies and incitement with reports like this that enable the fundings and those exploitation of the Palestinian people by their own leaders. Your interference is hurting far more than helping. You are part of the problem. This peace will be made by Arabs and Jews on the ground, not by your report produced to justify your outrageous inflated budgets and lack of resort to show for it. Thank you for listening to Uncharted, the UN Watch podcast. See you next time.